You are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So tonight in our liturgy, we are marking the Feast of the Epiphany. Now on the calendar, this feast day actually fell this past Thursday, January 6th, which also marked the end of Christmastide, the beginning of the period that will lead us toward Lent. I'm persuaded, though, that this story brings a kind of a poetic grip that we don't want to simply skip past, particularly not in a year like this one, with the increasing restrictions, shutdowns, and anxiety. Now, the story is, on the one hand, quite poignant and beautiful. The child has been born in Bethlehem, and wise men, or magi, have seen a significant birth marked in the stars. They set out from their home from the east, which points to the fact that Matthew probably had astrologers, magi, astrologers from Persia in view, as they were the ones most attuned to the movement of the stars. Matthew makes no mention of how long after the birth they arrived, But as he pictures things, the young family is not in a stable, but rather in a house in Bethlehem. Quote, on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, that's the kind of picture that we have preserved in those Christmas cards and nativity sets, right? These noble travelers arrive with extraordinary gifts. They lay them before the child and they kneel before him in a posture of respect. But there is other material in the story that casts a bit of a shadow over the prettiness of it. In seeking him, a king, they have quite understandably gone to Jerusalem to seek out the royal household. After all, where else would you find a child born to be king? But instead of the child, they encounter King Herod, who is a vassal king under the rule of the Roman Empire, and a deeply paranoid man. Herod had already had one of his own wives and several of his sons murdered because he was afraid that they were conspiring against him. This is not someone who takes any suggestion of a threat to his power lightly. Herod goes into gear. He consults the local biblical scholars as to where a promised king might be born, and they answer, in Bethlehem. So he calls the Magi back, 
and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, so that I may go also to pay him homage. As Frederick Beekner puts it, quote, It did not even strike them as suspicious when Herod asked them to be sure to let him know when they found him so he could hurry down and pay his own respects. They are, in that sense, quite unaware of the politics of the region. And if Herod's reputation for desperate, fear-driven violence, well, off they go. You know what happens next. They find the house where the family's staying, They enter and they offer their gifts. They bend their knees in a symbol of respect and even adoration. As Matthew tells the story, it does not seem to be a long visit. He simply notes, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now think for a minute about those gifts that Matthew says the Magi left with the family peasant family, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a royal gift, which held its value much as it does in our own day. Perfect for a new king, not so bad for a family about to become refugees. Frankincense and myrrh, on the other hand, were commonly used as perfumes, in the making of incense for use in worship, and in the case of myrrh as a marker for burial. Regal for sure, but far more loaded with symbolism, as Matthew tells it. Noting that Mark specifically says that Jesus was offered a mixture of wine and myrrh at the crucifixion, Elizabeth Johnson offers these words. She writes, Their gifts foreshadow what is to come. Myrrh is a bittersweet gift, but it is a fitting gift for King Jesus, born into the world of King Herod. For an infant king born into a world where evil tyrants plot the death of innocence. It is a fitting gift for this humble king who will be put to death as a threat against the empire. It is a fitting gift for the shepherd king who comes to lay down his life for the sheep. In Matthew's hands, you see, this story is much more than an origin or a birth story. As Matthew casts things, the heart of the gospel is contained in this treasured story. Just watch. First of all, is the matter of who it is that is led to meet and honor the child. Gentiles, true outsiders from a whole other part of the known world. They come with a knowledge and an understanding informed by their own deep tradition of stargazing. There's an ancient tradition of seeing the Feast of the Epiphany as being the dawn of sharing the great good news far beyond the boundaries of Judea or Galilee or Judaism. 
far beyond the known boundaries of the time. They follow their own intellectual skills and craft as far as it will take them. And in the end, can do little more than fall to their knees and leave their precious gifts in the hands of that peasant family. I like to imagine that they never forgot that journey, that in their return home they continued to walk with the knowledge that somehow this child that they had seen, this child was going to alter the world. For them, perhaps, that was the height of faithfulness, and it was accepted by the God they had never really known before. And then set against that is the desperate madness of King Herod. The Magi don't go back to tell him where the child lies. And in the verses immediately following the ones where we left off today, Herod moves into an incredible and desperate rage. Quote, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he'd learned from the wise men. So desperate is Herod to protect the power that he has on that throne, he simply throws his troops at that little town, massacring all those children, preparing to do anything to shore up his thin claims on power. That same rage that had caused him to kill a wife and several sons is again enacted. And who cares about those deaths? Not Herod. The machinations of power and politics dictate a kind of ruthlessness in his very soul, leaving him only to care about his throne, his security, his power. As Frederick Beekner puts it, Quote, Herod was fit to be tied when he realized he'd been had and ordered the murder of every male child two years old and under in that district. For all of his enormous power, he knew that there was somebody in diapers more powerful still. Indeed, and where is that little child in diapers? That, too, is told in the verses following where we left. It says, Now after the Magi left, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. As Matthew tells the story, off they go to Egypt as refugees, where they will remain until Herod has died. That, too, is a very poignant picture. Refugees. It's familiar, right, in our own context, particularly over these last several years with the arrival of all the Syrian refugees displaced by the madness of a tyrant. 
A small group of us here within St. Ben's has begun to work toward helping a Syrian Christian family make their way here to Winnipeg to join others from their extended family unit. And I find it hard not to see connections between that family's story and Jesus' family's story. Now, we have an enormous government bureaucracy, sometimes too enormous, I'm afraid, and it monitors and it counts and it permits or not people to make a move like that. That bureaucracy needs to know that a church community like ours will be here to help this new family make it start, get settled, find work, get moving. Mary and Joseph had none of that, but they did share the need to flee from the familiar, to enter a completely unfamiliar country out of fear of what was happening back home. In their case, it was only a time before they could return home, settle in Nazareth, which is the kind of thing most refugee families in our day will never be able to do. They'll never be able to go back, even to visit. But I do think that in the telling of this story, we must also remember that those who are in our time in that state of great upheaval, needing to flee for the sake of their own lives, we have to keep them in view. I'm grateful that Matthew has told this story in all of its toughness. For he's saying that Jesus himself knows what it means to be homeless in this way. He knew it then. He knows it now. And he calls us to care and to care deeply and to do what we can to help one of those families settle. And that, too, is a kind of an epiphany, isn't it? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.